Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in downtown Phoenix. Diamondbacks lose 11 to 7. Two days ago, the huge play was Christian Walker's terrible base running. The huge play yesterday, half an inning after the last one, Christian Walker's terrible fielding, in which Christian Walker has an error in the top of the third inning with two out and one, and, uh, one out. What would that have done? Probably led to a 3-6-1 double play. Instead, an error, Jankowski gets a two-run double, and then Simeon hits a two-run homer. Manager, Tori Lavello. You can see what happened. They had, they had their top three hitters that had three at-bats before the bottom of our order had one at-bat. That's unacceptable. So is, once again, pitching to Corey Seager is pretty unacceptable. That's it. We're on the brink. Diamondbacks need to win three games. Rangers need to win one. Whoever does it first wins the World Series. Zach Allen, ace of the Diamondbacks, 2-2. Two and two, 527 ERA, 150 whip in the postseason. Not good. Goes against the Rangers ace, Nathan Eovaldi. He's 4-0 with a 352 ERA and a 104 whip. His postseason has been great other than one bad outing. And that was game one against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Game five tonight, 5-0-3. To make matters worse downtown, another sellout crowd next door, and they saw a loser as well. Suns lose 115-114 at home against the Spurs. They built a 20-point lead midway through the third quarter. Then, KD doesn't block out with six seconds left. KD then turns the ball over with two seconds left to Kelton Johnson, and then KD misses a fadeaway at the buzzer, and Suns lose. Head coach, Frank Vogel. You're going you're gonna to lose a couple of games throughout the NBA season that you should win, and you're going to win a few games in the NBA season that you should lose. Um, tonight we're just on the wrong end of it. Well, they got a chance for revenge. They take on the Spurs again and again at home tomorrow night with tip-off at 7 o'clock. Cardinals, wow, was this a shocker. After saying that Joshua Dobbs is now the backup, now Joshua Dobbs is no longer here. Head coach, Jonathan Gannon. Just want to thank Josh for his contributions. You know, he came in, battled. Uh, he's an ultimate pro. Um, what he did for us and our team, can't thank him enough. Excited for the Josh is excited for the opportunity to go to Minnesota and go play. Well, they added a seventh round pick to it. They got a sixth round pick back from the Minnesota Vikings. They take on Cleveland on the road Sunday, 11 o'clock. NFL news, Washington Commanders have basically just bailed on the whole season. They traded Montez Sweat to Chicago for a second round pick and a fantastic trade. And then they turned around and traded Chase Young to the 49ers for a third round pick making the 49ers defensive line unbelievable and shows you what it's like when you have an owner that's completely devoted to try to winning a Super Bowl. Huh, I wonder what that's like. That's kind of kind of interesting with bookends of Bosa and Young. Coyotes need to get rolling again after what they did to Chicago, blowing them out. They go back to LA where they just came from when they took on the Kings on their last trip. This time it's Anaheim, however. Face-off tonight, 7 o'clock. And finally, 
Florida police are warning all drivers of a pickup truck on the road accused of personating a police vehicle. It's got lights, reflective paint, and the words booty call on the side. Yeah. Of course, you're not going to be shocked by the hat that that guy is wearing in the picture. The booty patrol car has been known to flash its lights at drivers that have women in it, hoping to get pictures and who knows what else. The police are hoping to get them. Jackpot Unplugged Army. I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off, plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat. You walk over for happy hour with your wife. You might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime. Or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I usually don't talk to you about fantasy sports. But we need to get fired up this week. My fantasy team does. And the reason why is we're taking on the arch rival, Zach who won last night in cornhole. And then even though I played well in darts, my family let me down and his family won in darts as well. Can't have it both. Let's go. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merch. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I just... Losing everywhere yesterday. Everywhere. Started with that second inning. I am of the philosophy for the Diamondbacks bullpen, the ABCs of pitching. Um, maybe you, you might not know this, Jeff Weir Production. Do you know the ABCs of pitching? I do not. Okay, the ABCs of pitching. Anyone but Castro. <laughs> That's the ABCs of pitching. Um, very frustrated. I, I've been frustrated by Castro all year, and then he gives up the solo homer to Garcia to end game one and basically ended game two on his own in the way he pitched in, uh, in that second inning. It's not game two, in the second inning. 
of game four. So that bothers me. Then lost in cornhole to the arch rival Zach. And then knew, because Zach has only beaten me once straight up in darts. We played somewhere around 437 times. And uh, so then I was going to get my revenge in darts. But then, of course, uh, Zach's wife, the lovely Miss Tracy, came into the house and says, well, aren't we going to do something for everybody? Listen, I, I'm now doing this to, to get my just reward. But then we had to be inclusive. And, uh, well, Vienna and Jennifer struggled in darts struggled uh and and that hurt that hurt and the team the the Franz fam lost so then I lost in that as well and that was a problem so Halloween Halloween is uh is just poor murder on on poor Jeff Weir production because the next day or that night I barely get through anything so last just so you know it usually takes me about seven hours of work to get ready for the show and last night, I get done with our Halloween festivities and, and entertaining friends. And then I go upstairs and I, I get to work. So I started work last night sometime around 10.15 or 10.30. Watched five innings of the Diamondbacks because I had to rewatch it. I, I was like, I was kind of watching it while I was playing cornhole and, uh, and while I was passing out candy. But I wasn't really totally paying attention. And what did I really need to pay attention to, to be honest? Then probably watched about five innings of it. Went to uh, and just said, that's it. I'm mentally checked out. I was so angry. I was so exhausted. So I slept until 2.30, and then I got up. So I probably slept for about 45, eh, maybe about an hour, and then got up, watched the remainder four innings, and then, full disclosure, I did not watch the full Suns game. I just watched the second half of the Suns because I knew what had happened. Couldn't believe it. Just amazed at at that meltdown by the sun. So that's all the losing. Cornhole, darts, baseball, basketball. It was not a good night for a Suns fan, a Diamondbacks fan, and the Franz fam all at the same time. But Jeff Weir Production, tons of work today. Thank you very much for uh, doing as much as you did today. Uh, Everybody be careful of the booty patrol in in Florida. Isn't it – it is something – it's almost like there are Floridians that grew up normal and then read all about stupid Floridians and decided, I want to keep this train going. There is no way one state can have that big of a monopoly on stupid people. It is, it is amazing. That, that's actual reflective tape on the pickup truck with the word booty patrol on it. And real life, I think they took a construction truck and turned it into this. That way you've already paid for the flashing lights, but they're actually blue and red. Flashing blue and red lights in the front and the back to get people to pull over. So if they drive up on a girl that they think is an attractive young lady with a bright future, they actually pull her over. Now, so far, there haven't been any reports of just out and out something disgusting, but pretty darn stupid. Looks like they're trying to replicate uh, replicate the border patrol. Vehicles, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very good call uh, on you because the the Florida the Florida border is out of control. If you didn't know, the amount of people that try to illegally emigrate from Alabama is just getting ridiculous. So that that's a that's a major problem. I didn't throw Georgia under the bus uh, on that one. So that that entertained me quite a bit. I'm a little. I'm a little disheveled today. That, that last night, 
Last night really got me down. Really did. And I, and I mean, baseball-wise, just everything from the performance, uh, Christian Walker and Castro, you just look at those two. Uh, I, I got the whole show to get to go nuts. I got to calm down here. You can, it's just, it's right there. It is, it is right there. Okay. Uh, sound credits today. Uh, azcardinals.com gave us the Jonathan Gannon I want to use today and tomorrow. Uh, MLB.tv gave us Tori Lovello. And the Suns PR department gave us Frank Vogel. And I think that's it. Can you think of anything else? No, sir. Good. I think we're all set. All right. Let's roll. Doug's Big One. Doug's Big One today, it's, it's from nowhere. Like, you're going to go, wait, how in the world did you go there? My number one opinion is how amazing it is to cheat, to break the rules, to destroy a program, and then end up in a much better spot in life. Last night, the LA or the Las Vegas Raiders, hard for me to remember who they are now, the Las Vegas Raiders fired their head coach, fired their general manager, and named Antonio Pierce the head coach. I'm sure a lot of you know, but in case you don't, Antonio Pierce was the one-time defensive coordinator of Arizona State under Herm Edwards. Now, according to the way that this is being framed up by ASU, and it's the way ASU is explaining it is not true. They're lying. But the way ASU is explaining it is that this was almost all run by Antonio Pierce. All of the problems with COVID, all of the situation in bringing in recruits illegally against the rules of the NCAA, ASU has continually said it's Antonio Pierce after they tried to blame other people. They started by blaming two young staffers and actually presented them to the NCAA. How about that? It's one of the most grotesque things that I have seen that ASU takes low-level guys barely making any money and then tries to throw them under the bus to the NCAA. And if it wasn't for a professor by the name of David Ridpath, who volunteered his time in order to protect these two against ASU slanderous attacks, these two might have been hammered by the NCAA. And instead, ASU left with egg on their face in that one. So then what did ASU keep doing? They just kept throwing assistant coaches under the bus. Let's see if the NCAA will stop bothering us if we fire this guy. Let's see if they'll bo- stop bothering us if we fire this guy. Eventually, it went to Antonio Pierce, and they got rid of him. Now, he's a head coach in the NFL. It's the, the fact that the NFL doesn't care at all about a man's character and to say, you know what, judging by what you did at ASU, we're – we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to pass on you becoming a head coach. Instead, it's like, hey, you, you, hey, whatever you need to do to win, we appreciate that. Didn't work there in Phoenix, but it'll work here in Vegas. In Vegas, we've always rewarded a good cheater. Come, come on in. Come on in. Uh, it's Mark Davis, that suits you. Antonio Pierce suits you. And I hope it goes very, very poorly. I've, I've never really cared about the Raiders, you know, one way or another. I'm one of the few people that don't like or hate the Raiders. Almost everybody does one or the other. I'm a kind of a bandwagon Chiefs fan living in Kansas City for three years. I really respected their fans a lot. And then how do you not enjoy Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes? So I like rooting for Kansas City if they're not playing against one of my teams. But that doesn't translate into a Raider hatred. And now, oh, yeah. Until Antonio Pierce is gone, all in. Whoever's playing the Raiders, you're now my favorite team.
All right, let's get to Diamondbacks. Um, I don't want to get personal. And every team has a weak link. Every single team. No matter how – maybe the 76 Reds don't have a weak link. But basically everybody has a weak link. But I don't understand with how many times Castro has failed this year that he's still a Diamondback. Now, after he failed in the bottom of the 11th in game one, I'm not saying you cut him then and, and play a man down the rest of the series. Of course not. But it is it is unbelievable to me how often – he has been given opportunities to succeed and continually, time after time, fails. The Christian Walker situation is even rougher. So, if you don't know what happened with Castro, Castro came into the game last night in the uh, top of the second inning. And keep in mind, that was part of the plan, is to come you know, Joe Mantiply would go an inning or two, depending on how far he got. It's Joe Mantiply's fault that he gave up a leadoff double. So you know, that's on him. Then he got the, the lefty low out. And now that you have a switch hitter in Jonah Heim, it was time to uh, try to flip him over and have him bat left-handed. Got him to ground out, move the runner that was on the for the double. And then the next two batters are Tavares with a walk, Hey, let's let's challenge people. It's Leody Tavares, who before that at bat was batting two hundred. That that that's the kind of thing that Castro does. You walk a guy batting two hundred with a runner on third, knowing the top of the lineup is coming up. Now, no, he did not step up on the mound and say, "You know what? I feel like not, I feel like walking this guy." But the lack of competitive pitches. The lack of ability to just say, I'm a major leaguer, here's my best, deal with it, and let the chips fall where they may when you're dealing with a guy that's batting under 200. That's just, that's horrible. Then Jankowski comes up, gets a a knock, and knocks in uh, a run. Then, no, he didn't knock in a run, I'm sorry. Then he got a base hit, and that loaded the bases because they couldn't score the run because of the Castro wild pitch throwing one in the dirt. And on that one, I don't usually get on Moreno, but I don't know what Moreno was doing. He was so late to block that. Then you get Marcus Simeon with a uh, two-run triple. Then you get Corey Seager with a home run. And why they pitched to Corey Seager, I have no idea. First base is open. Second base is open. Garver is hes an okay ball player, but he's nothing that's really going to intimidate you. So if you're going to leave Castro in, you, you, I, I just don't, I don't get it. That level of baseball ignorance is a problem, is a major, major problem for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, give me, uh, let's go through some of the Tory sound before I get to the air. Give me a Tory one, if you could, please, Jeff Weir Production. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. This was a grinder. This was this was um, nothing that we saw coming. We've had guys that have been throwing the ball extremely well. We've been picking up the baseball and defense, you know, and it all it all came uh, un, unraveled on us there in in a matter of two innings, and it's ten runs. So as you're dissecting it and looking at it, you get you fall down eleven to one, and then you keep fighting. You stay connected. Um, you commit to the plan and the process for 27 outs 
and you close the game up to 11-7, got the fans engaged, got a ton of energy, got their closer in the game. There's a lot of positives to draw upon, and I will. Uh, but we got to tighten up the things that we know that went wrong, and we'll do that. Um, and then we'll come out tomorrow, and we got we got to go one and zero tomorrow. We got to be ready to play our finest game tomorrow. Not worry about anything else. It's an all-in mentality, uh, and this team has done it uh, every time I can remember. They they've never let one another down, and I expect that to be the same tomorrow. Um, here's the thing, there. First of all, I, I misread my own notes. It says right here, uh, Kyle Nelson in second, and I and I, I didn't say that when I talked about the Corey Seager home run. Um, it's just so frustrating, number one, that Castro was left in as long as he was there, that he ever went in. I realize the bullpen day, what are you going to do? But the fact that he was never replaced bothers me. And then Kyle Nelson coming in, the reason why I didn't love that is if you're – if you're going to allow Castro to pitch to Simeon, which I don't like at all because Castro stinks, fine. You let him pitch to Simeon. Simeon gets the triple. Mitch Garver's a right-handed hitter. He's not as good as Corey Seager, the left-handed hitter. Castro's a righty. You don't want right on left. Why doesn't Castro stay in the game, walk Seager, and then go after Garver? That's... That's what I don't get because Castro, you have to pitch to three batters now. Castro loads the bases, basically. It's not his fault that there was a runner on second, but he puts the next two guys on. So now he's pitched to his three batters when Simeon comes up. I don't want Castro pitching to Simeon, but fine. Torrey Lovello disagrees. Simeon has not hit the cover off the baseball. Uh, he, he hit great in the regular season. Hasn't hit that great in the postseason. So you want to gamble. Okay, you gamble with Castro. He stinks it up. Once he stinks it up, are you really going to pitch to Corey Seager? That's what I don't get. If you pitch to Corey Seager, you're going to say, well, I need a lefty to come in to pitch to Corey Seager. Why pitch to him? The correct decision there is walk Corey Seager because they don't have Garcia. So you walk him. Now once you walk him, guess who's up? Another righty. So wouldn't you have – if you trust Castro against Simeon – do you really stop trusting him to the point where, okay, we're not going to let you pitch to, to Garver. Garver is so scary, we're not going to let you pitch to Garver. I'm not going to call it hypocrisy, but I'm going to call it not thinking things through. One of these things don't make sense. Either don't let Castro pitch to Simeon after he loaded the bases, or once you've made the decision, I trust Castro, then stay with him and let him pitch to Garver. When you take him out for Nelson, now that forces you to pitch to uh, Seager. And in that situation, you don't pitch to Seager. Seager hits a two-run homer. Now you're down 5 nothing. Rangers become the first team in baseball history to be able to uh, get back-to-back five-run innings in any one World Series game because they turn around and do it again in the third inning. In the third inning, Kyle Nelson starts the inning, and uh, the first thing he does, gets a ground out, but then he gives up back-to-back singles. So they put Frias in. Frias gets the magic ground ball to Christian Walker. Walker, terrible boot. Backhanded, brings it up, loses it on the transfer. I don't want to guarantee a double play. 
A 3-6-1 double play is very difficult. What a 3-6-1 double play is, is the first baseman gets it, and he's normally moving to his right, which is towards second, throws it to the shortstop who steps on second, and now there's no way for the first baseman to get back to first, so the pitcher is covering. That's a tough double play. So either you've got two outs and runners on first and third, or the inning is over if you do turn the double play. Instead, because of Christian Walker's air, now you allow the bases to be loaded. It remains one out. And then from that point on, it just gets really ugly. Tavares, another strikeout because Tavares is having a bad postseason, so he strikes out. I mean, how did he walk the inning before Castro? Well, he strikes out when you actually challenge him. And then Jankowski, a, 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 a triple that knocks in uh, two runs, and then a three-run homer from Simeon, who is on fire. The guy looks like Babe Ruth the way we pitched to him. That was, again, w- w- there's there's nowhere to stop the blame on this one. You know, a lot of people say, if, like there's a question a lot of times that happens in sports talk radio, which is whose fault is it or who do you blame? For me in game in game four, all of them. Why take any blame off of anybody? Castro, how do you not have the skill as a professional athlete to throw strikes to a guy batting 200? Uh, Mike Hazen, great trade to get Paul Sewald. You were right. I was wrong. I didn't like the trade when you did it. It's why the Diamondbacks have been able to make it to the World Series. But you couldn't do anything about Castro? There's nobody in the minor leagues that you could have developed better than him? There's nobody you could have traded for in Major League Baseball better than Castro? And he rears his ugly head again. You didn't see enough evidence during the regular season of his blown saves and uh, or the games that got out of hand once he pitched in. Then, Torrey, you make the decision to allow Castro to stay in against Simeon after he loaded the bases, but then decide to take him out to bring in somebody else to pitch to Seager because you shouldn't have been pitching to Seager anyway. That's on you. And then the Christian Walker, hey, how do you make up for getting thrown out at home? You make up for it by making an error? It's just, that's bad baseball. Now, fans, congratulations. I don't, I don't like the paper airplane thing. Uh, let me call you out on that. If you were at the game throwing paper airplanes, that's, that's dumb, okay? If you don't want to be there, leave. But throwing paper airplanes, showing the rest of the world, we don't really love baseball enough to pay attention. That was dumb. But at least watching it on television, I could hear crowd noise throughout the game. That's pretty impressive. 10 nothing, 10-1, and you're still that engaged into the game. Tori Lovello just said right there there are some positives. There are positives if you're going to be able to take advantage of it. It is important that you brought the closer back in to be able to get another look at the closer and to try to exhaust some of the people in the bullpen. That, that is a testament to fortitude. The catch is if you're going to be down 10-1 to 1 again, it doesn't really matter if their closer is tired. If you're going to play bad baseball, make bad managerial decisions, it doesn't matter. And that, that's why I'm really frustrated today because this has been a thrill ride, all right? This has been amazing. It's one of the great memories I have as a dad of being at game four um, against the Phillies and having that comeback with Alec Thomas, sharing that with my kids and my wife. The Diamondbacks have brought me incredible joy this month. But I just don't understand the 10-0 game two beat down against the Phillies when they quit 
and then I don't understand the total lack of focus that it takes to make bad decisions to the level that they did in the height of the moment. And hopefully Zach Gallon can bail us out tonight. Hopefully they can bail us out tonight. Uh, Royals, last team that I know of, maybe it's happened before, but the last team that I know of that's ever won game six and seven of an LCS and then won game six and seven of the following World Series. I don't remember that ever ever happening since, uh, excuse me, 1985. Royals did it, I believe, against the Blue Jays in the ALCS. That's off the top of my head. And then beat the Cardinals when the Cardinals were way ahead three games to one in the World Series. And the Royals came back to win it, just like we're hoping that the Diamondbacks do. All right, give me uh, Tory two, if you would be so kind, please. And let's uh, go through more sound. And I wanted to make sure that his teammates heard me say um, that without him, without his effort, without his commitment to staying ready, the disciplines that it takes behind the scenes to make sure that you can go out there and, and give us 65, 75 pitches and keep us right where we needed to keep this thing. So we're, we're gassed up tomorrow in the bullpen. That was a true team moment. And, uh, you know, because of him, we're going to be in a spot to use our, our guys tomorrow and hopefully win a baseball game. Without that, we would have been in a really bad spot. And he sacrificed. I know he was gassed out there at the very end, but he sacrificed for the good of his team. That's talking about Rhino. Ryan Nelson was the guy that was supposed to earn a starting spot at some point in the rotation and, and stay there. And then they made the decision it would be better to keep um, – you, you could argue whether this was the right decision or not. I, I think it's worked out in the end. But they thought Ryan Nelson would be better as a bullpen guy than making Brandon Fought a bullpen guy. So they sent Brandon Fought down, keep you as a starter, and Ryan Nelson stayed as a guy on the bench. Or excuse me, as a guy in the bullpen. Well, now with that performance, Ryan Nelson pitched in a sense like a starter, gave up a home run late, as Torrey said, after he got tired, but pitched five and a third innings. Let me check and make sure I got that right. It might be five and two-thirds. Five and a third innings, three hits and a solo home run, and that's it. Struck out six, and most importantly to me, didn't walk a batter. When you see that kind of performance, that makes you feel great. He's going to be dead for today. But then you've got an off day tomorrow if the Diamondbacks can win today. He'll be ready for game six. So I, uh, I like that. All right, give me, the, give me the next one, please. Story three. I've been talking to Strong about the same thing over the past four or five days. You know, if Nelson's needed, what is he going to give us? He's, he assured me that he's been staying ready. He's been, he's been throwing bullpens, touching fields, and he's maintained a little bit of, little bit of length. Um, not quite the 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 five plus innings that he gave us, but we felt like we was going to be able to give us six pitches. Yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you look at it a little bit differently after you know what the outcome is, and maybe he was an op- option for us after an opener. Maybe he was an option for us to start the baseball game, but um, you know, he he did his job and didn't surprise me. I just know that there were some wobbly outings in the postseason, and we were trying to protect him a little bit and build up his confidence and get him in the right spot, and today certainly was that. That's an easy question. It's a fair question, and and, and that is, you know, if Ryan Nelson is going to pitch this well, why wasn't he the starting pitcher? Wouldn't that have helped out an awful lot? Uh, 
I think it's fair to ask the question, but I think it's wrong to assume. And I think there's a difference. I think it's the media's job to ask probing questions, but if you say that opinion like it's bona fide fact, then I think you're lost or you haven't been watching the season. Ryan Nelson has been unbelievably up and down. Number two, even though I hate the even the concept of bullpen games, they won the bullpen game against the Phillies. They won game four. Granted, they had to come back, but they won game four with a bullpen game. So since they were able to win game four, that shows you can do this in the postseason. I don't like it, but it shows you can do it. So And it's easy to think, hey, look, he pitched this well. Just move him into the front. You would have had a much better turnout. Let me think about how dumb that opinion is for just a second. You're taking a young pitcher that's been very inconsistent this year and you're putting him into a 10-to-1 game with no pressure versus sleeping on it last uh, two nights ago, knowing this team really needs a victory against an undefeated road team, having him think about his start all day long, now throw him out there in the first inning and assume everything's going to be the same thing. That's a bad assumption to me. Good question, fair question, but bad opinion if you drive it home. I think it's fair to talk about it, though. What's next? I like the heartbeat. I like the dedication. Um, I like the ability to execute. And I just thought he was going to be the right man for the right um, the right job there. And he, he did a really nice job. Um, look, it hasn't been an easy year for Joe. He's an all-star last year. He's trying to duplicate that, trying to make everything perfect. It didn't turn out that way. Found himself in the minors grinding. And I know there was a lot of people around him coaching him up. He accepted that coaching. And he's a very dependable back-end reliever for us. And we switched his role today. I lost that that ability to use him on the back end, but I thought that much about him that I needed him to go out there and get what started out as three up to six outs. And he was he was really good for us today. Um, that's about Joe Mantiply, the uh, reliever who got the start. He was the same person that got, or no. Yeah, it was Mantiply that, uh, that got the start. And I also look at, he was also the one that started last week against the Phillies. So again, that worked. So to question whether or not it should have been Mantiply, well, it worked the last time he came out. He did walk Garver in the first, but came right back and got a cheap little pop-up, uh, a little flare that was easily handled by Alec Thomas, and then gave up the leadoff double, not good, but came right back and got the strikeout, and then got taken out of the game, and that was good. I agree with taking him out of the game right there, because if you got a bullpen game, Jonah Heim is, is not as good as a lefty, so you want to flip him around from batting righty, and I get it. I just never would put in Castro under any I'm, I'm just not a Castro guy um, once you make that decision you're going bullpen you're kind of forced to use Castro at some point but once he shows that he doesn't have it no way am I going to continue on that one all right what's next Tori yeah the obvious ones the way the game splinters and you guys got to make make some in-game adjustments and you got to just think think things through a little clearly about the best matchups. I've got a ton of information that's really dummied down into into one little um, one little thought, which makes me less dangerous. And I'm able to go out there and, and make what I hopefully will believe are great decisions to match up. So it's a game of matching up. And it's it it intrigues me. I know the players are ready for it. I think it intrigues them, and everybody's race ready. So the challenges are to get the right matchups and get the right get the right 
pieces in place. We felt like we did that. We just didn't execute. You could see what happened. They had, they had their top three hitters that had three at-bats before the bottom of our order had one at-bat. That's unacceptable. He's, he's asked there about how challenging is it to put together the bullpen game, especially when it blows up in your face. Let's be clear. This was not this is not the plan of postseason teams. You don't go into a regular season thinking, hey, we're gonna have every fifth day is gonna be a bullpen day and we're gonna do that all the way through the playoffs. It's you do bullpen days because you don't have the starting pitching. And I'm not gonna go nuts about that part of it. I said I mean, I've already said my piece a long time ago. I hated the signing of Madison Bumgarner. I wouldn't have done it in a million years to have him sign a five year contract. But to be fair, I probably would have done a four-year deal. And guess what? The year this is, year four. So he would have been under contract if I'm the general manager. However, he wouldn't be there anymore. I would have cut him near the end of last year thinking he was such a disaster. The idea of wasting any time on Madison Bumgarner in spring training is a joke. That was such a terrible decision by the Diamondbacks. But it's not like you can just invent starting pitching and Mike Hazen already told us he knows I failed I was I needed to get us a starting pitcher at the trade deadline but everybody wanted Alec Thomas and I'm not parting with Alec Thomas truthfully I I would have probably parted with Alec Thomas and I think I would have been the worst for wear I, I don't really I can't sit here and guarantee the starting pitcher they would have received they haven't told me who it is I keep asking I admit who is the starting pitcher you could have had for Alec Thomas Whoever that is, does he do better than Alec Thomas has? Alec Thomas has been pretty clutch quite a few times. And it's hard to assume somebody else would have been as clutch. So maybe it's a good decision that we don't have a starting pitcher, but what are we left with? We're left with games like we just had in, uh, in having a bullpen game. All right, a couple more. Well, yeah, their, their lineup presents some challenges, um, you know, they had some guys at the bottom that hurt us. You know, Jankowski probably wouldn't have been playing this game if Garcia was healthy, and he banged the baseball around today and got some really big knocks. So um, we just we got to be spot on and not take anything for granted, and 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 be be as ready as we possibly can. Who's ever coming in the game in these types of situations? Yeah, it does present some unique challenges, but these guys have done it. We've done it several times this year. They we've we've had specifically Joe Mantiply as an opener. We've used different guys at different times, and it's worked with some success, a certain degree of success. We just made some mistakes at the wrong time. He's such a nice man. I just I can't stand the 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 soft comments. Oh, this worked. This worked. I. I, I wanted fire and brimstone yesterday. I wanted fire and brimstone. You're, you're down 10 nothing, 10-1. Uh, I wanted a little more fire and brimstone brimstone out of uh, out of Tory. All right, last one from Tory, please. Yeah, I know it wasn't your traditional World Series game with a lot of World Series moments, um, but we're at the end of the day, we're just trying to win a baseball game and find the best way to go out there and do so. Um, we know that we've got our three starting pitchers lined up for the next three days and this is this is just where we've been as an organization to have to do something like this but um yeah the game is a little bit different than it was in 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 1975 right when i was watching the the big red machine against the boston red sox right that was just totally different feel this game is this game's changed a little bit and um we just did all we could to win a baseball game today 
it's kind of funny. I had just mentioned the 76 Reds. The 75 Reds won what is considered to be by some the greatest World Series of all time. And that would have a lot to do with because game six was so great. Some people say the greatest World Series game of all time. There's also, because there was such a buildup to it, because you had a long rain out, like, like I think it was three days of rain that delayed game six. So it just kind of built up the attention that was coming to it. Other people would rather look at 1991, their performance of Jack Morris against John Smoltz and how brilliant that World Series was, and then namely the end of it, which is just legendary. So you've got that one. Uh, Joe Carter getting the walk-off in the Toronto World Series, which was uh, heaven sent. I really enjoyed the Nationals-Astros series when the road team won every game. That was a good World Series. 2001... Uh, I think it's fair to put in the discussion as one of the greatest World Series of all time. So, no, that one wasn't all that exciting yesterday. And the nation is letting the world hear about it. But I I have one beef about this. There's lots of – not the articles. You write what you got to write. But Game 1 was the lowest Game 1 television-rated World Series ever. Games two, game two was actually the lowest rated World Series game ever. And then game three was, was worse than game two. Okay. So it's kind of like a mocking where people are going, see, nobody cares about the Rangers. Nobody cares about the Diamondbacks nationally. Like it's baseball's fault that they put the Diamondbacks and Rangers in the World Series. Let me flip this argument, however, and this is what bothers me about it. If you are going to make the decision, and you have every right to run your league how you want, but if you're going to make the decision that it's Yankees-Red Sox almost every night on national television, if you're going to make the decision that every time there's a nationally televised game, it's either going to be Yankees, Boston, uh, Cubs, or Dodgers all the time, then guess what happens? You don't educate the fan base on other teams. So when players and teams they don't know make it to the World Series, they're not going to care because they don't know those players. Does that make sense? So this is kind of the fold of your own. I realize you got to make money, and maybe you don't want to take the hit. Maybe you don't want to televise a lot of Diamondbacks and Rangers games. And I'm not actually going to argue and stand up and argue how much the Diamondbacks deserve national attention. They didn't. They won, They only won 84 games. But when you don't highlight people, this is what happens. And also, and I understand it, but I don't care about the whining about ratings, when you decide on your own you can't beat football, which is actually very fair. It's kind of funny. Monday night uh, football destroyed the ratings versus World Series in game uh, in game three. But they've set up the World Series so you're not going up against the NFL at all on a Sunday. Well, the two least watched days of television in American sports are Friday and Saturday night. The two least watched days. What does baseball do with their game one and two? They put it on Friday and Saturday. What do they do on game three? They put it up against Monday night football. So baseball is making the decision on its own 
we don't really care about games one through four. We need the buildup of one, two, and three to lead to a game four and five getting good ratings on a Tuesday and Wednesday with the hope people go, wow, this is now exciting, and they'll break their trend and watch games on Friday and Saturday night. But that, that to me, it's, it's a hilarious argument of, oh, see, nobody cares about baseball. No, baseball's made the decisions to hurt themselves in television ratings because they're scared of football. So when you do that, guess what you get? The lowest rated games that anybody's ever had in a World Series. I, bl- I blame baseball for that. Your fear of football is the problem, and your fear of promoting other teams is the problem. And I don't think you do a very good job in promotions. When you trap every team into this is your website, this is how you're going to run everything, and you don't let them branch out on their own, guess what happens? You, you, you put forth a boring product that not enough people are involved in. That, that Marketing is not as hard as they make it. When they've got that kind of money, okay? If, if you don't have any money, I get it. I totally get it. Then you're like National League Lacrosse trying to promote yourself. All right, coming up next. I, I hope you're feeling the same as I am. Because I know you come to me a lot of times to be lifted up. And sports lifts us up. But today's crappy. Today's just crap. With the performance of the Diamondbacks last night, the performance of the Suns last night, and coming up next, just a bold-faced lie. It's either a lie or ignorance from the Arizona Cardinals. And the rest of the media doesn't have the courage to call them out for it. They did something dumb. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSF-TV.com. You can see what happened. They had... They had their top three hitters that had three at-bats before the bottom of our order had one at-bat. That's unacceptable. It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona, and that's Parker & Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. The reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time, and they've gotten it right the first time every time, and they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies. That means something, because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast, and you can trust Parker and Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. I am, I'm going to get into this a little bit later in the show. I'm really excited. Unplugged Army. If you're not doing anything Friday night, please join me. I'm going to have a happy hour. Um, because I'm announcing this to you Wednesday, two days ahead of time, I'm not making it a sanctioned event, so you won't lose your rank if you're not there, but it would mean a lot to me if you can go. So everybody that's, that's part of the unplugged army, try to make it a point to join me Friday. I'm going to be there at about four 30 and then it depends. I hate to say it. Is there going to be a game? If the diamondbacks win today, there's a game six. So I'm going to watch the whole game six, uh, live from hundred mile brewery. 
Okay, uh, 100 Mile Brewing Company is located in uh, Tempe, just uh, just outside of campus on Scottsdale Road, right where Scottsdale Road, Rural, and the 202 all come together. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but I just want you to know they're going to start a journey with us as well, and uh, and hopefully start providing us some amber, uh, some A Mountain Amber Ale on Beer Friday. How about that? How about that? So uh, that's coming up. I'll give you more details about that later on today. I just looked at my screen, and there's a picture of a truck that says Booty Patrol on it. <laughs> you know, I need jokes today. Jeff Weir, tell me that joke you know. Put me in a good mood today. Why'd the chicken cross the road? Why? To prove to the possum that it could be done. That That's a Tennessee joke right there. That's a Tennessee joke. Well, he said a joke, and I thought that. I grew up with that one, so... <laughs> Uh, if you live in Tennessee, because most of the world makes jokes about Tennessee, um, not in Ohio though. We joke about West Virginia. What, what, what did people in Te- what state did people in Tennessee joke about? Um, Alabama and Florida. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I did I thought I thought the rule I thought the rule of thumb is that the state you make fun of had to be a neighbor, or do Tennesseans don't know that they don't border? They probably don't even know they don't border Florida, do they? No, they know. Oh, okay. but they're just man, they're so ignorant in Florida. <laughs> you just true. can't help but to make fun of yeah, them. Yeah, you know what? I'll okay. That's that's actually a very fair point. They're Florida idiots. They <laughs> they're on booty patrol. How how do you expect <laughs> anything more? The Cardinals did something yesterday. I I'm really surprised how many people in the media are accepting this as as a as an intelligent play, okay? Now, in the end, getting something for a quarterback that you traded for, okay, that's, that's good. I, I'm not looking at the trade and saying that's a terrible trade. If you haven't seen it, they took Joshua Dobbs and a conditional seventh-round pick, sent it to Minnesota. The Vikings lost Kirk Cousins to a tear of his Achilles, so they need another quarterback. Dobbs is going to be the backup, and then they're getting back a six-round pick. Okay, great. This is where I go, though. I'm going to go in a weird order, if you could, Jeff Weir Production. Could you give me JG1 and 2 from Tuesday, and then we'll go to JG1 from Wednesday. So here is Jonathan Gannon. This is at his Monday morning press conference. So this is two days ago, but it's from Tuesday's show for our standpoint. But Monday morning press conference, he's meeting with the media. Keep in mind, Sunday he was specifically asked, Who's gonna, is Joshua Dobbs still going to be the starter against Cleveland? And he said yes. So as of Sunday, Dobbs is the starting quarterback for this coming weekend. Then on Monday... He says this. Talked to all the quarterbacks this morning. Um, we're going to keep ramping up Kyler and uh, see how he progresses through the week. And if it's not Kyler, then it's going to be Clayton Toon. So I talked to uh, all three quarterbacks and on the same page with them how we're going to operate moving forward. Look forward to having a good week of prep. Cleveland, two-day trip. Try to go get a win. Okay. So we've decided to bench Joshua Dobbs. Clayton Toon is now the starting quarterback if Kyler's not ready. I got you. Why did you do that? And this was he was asked to follow up. What changed his mind from Sunday after the game to then Monday morning 
going from Dobbs as starter to Dobbs as third string. Yeah, I was just watching the tape again, talking with the staff. Um, feel like this gives us the best chance to win. All right. Now you explain this to me. Sunday he's the starter. Monday he's benched after you watch the film. M- then on Tuesday he's traded. If he was benched because you started watching the film, a lot of people are trying this narrative where they say, well, this makes perfect sense. Now it all is clear. They were getting ready to trade him, and that's why they benched him. That's not what he said. He said, after I watched the film. So is he just plain lying? I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why a coach might tell you something that's not technically true or give you a half-truth when it comes to injuries or other things. But think about that last, those comments from him about Joshua Dobbs. On, if he's getting traded, if you, if you want to play the coin that says, we already know he's getting traded, why in the world would you be that insulting then? If you knew he was going to get traded, why were you that insulting? Hey, uh, JG, I wanted to let you know, hey, it's Monty, Austin Fort. Uh, I'm in negotiations right now with the Vikings, so you're going to want to try to prepare Clayton Toon if Kyler's not ready for this week. But I, I think we've got a, a deal going. Okay, great job, Monty. Let me go down and tell America that Joshua Dobbs is getting benched. So if you're with me that there's no way someone, a coach would be that insulting to bench someone he knows he's about to trade, and announce it to everyone, then this has to be the truth. So he went from Sunday, he's my quarterback, to Monday watching film saying he's not. I don't like it, but I'll get over it. Fine, you watch the film, that's fine. But then, here's what I, I don't get. After you've already done that, why announce it? If you were willing to trade him, why announce that you're benching him? If you didn't know this trade was come together, If you're thinking, you go out there to meet with the media Monday, you announce the benching, and then Monday afternoon, the Vikings call and say, hey, we'd like to talk to you about Joshua Dobbs. Now that you're benching him, we want him. Oh, okay. Well, then I want to be all over Monty Ossonfort. Because are you not watching the league? When you watch football, do you know that Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles? How do you not have the foresight If you're willing to trade Dobbs, I can understand if you say, no, we're not confident enough in Kyler being ready. We better not trade Dobbs. Okay. But as soon as Kirk Cousins got hurt on Sunday, do you not call Sunday night or Monday morning and say, I just want you to know we're willing to trade Dobbs. You know, we'll we'll play a game or two with Clayton Toon while we wait to see if Kyler's ready. Do you want to make a move? See how this this is so poorly planned or is so dishonest or is so insulting. I don't care which one of the three you want to argue. You choose. Either you knew you were going to trade him and you were incredibly insulting by saying, oh, we're going to trade you, so let's bench you and we'll tell everybody about it. Either it was so poorly planned because you were shocked at the trade request when you didn't need to tell everybody on Monday right before the trade deadline and if you how did you not know you were willing to trade him if you were 
I mean, this is this is what general managers do. You watch the league. Hey, a quarterback got hurt. We're willing to make a trade. I'm going to place this call. So don't make any announcements. Let's see what happens. Or you're completely caught off guard. To me, that's what happened. To me, they were completely caught off guard. They changed their mind, lived in a vacuum, made the decision on Monday morning to go with Clayton Toon after watching the film Sunday night and into Monday morning, announced it to the media Monday, then the Vikings called. I'm not reporting, I'm speculating. Then the Vikings called, and they didn't say this, but they're basically like, well, since you're going to bench him, we'll flip you a seventh-round pick for him. And then the Cardinals said, you know what? Give us a sixth. We'll give you a seventh. You give us a sixth. Okay. And then suddenly there's a trade. I'm not accusing him of being insulting because I don't think they're that uh, – I don't think they played ahead that well. I'm staring down Monty Austin for it and saying, how did you not anticipate the Vikings quarterback need the second that Kirk Cousins went down? The second he went down and make that phone call. It's – that, that's got to scare you a little bit as a fan. Maybe you're okay with it because you're saying, you know what, Monty Austin Ford, uh, this is his rookie year as a general manager. And and you're going to forgive it. Listen, I've, I've made a ton of mistakes in my job too. We've all made mistakes in our job. But I would like to think a general manager, in order to be qualified to be one, has been in enough front offices moving up the ladder that you see things like this. Maybe not specifically exactly this way, but there's been enough quarterback injuries throughout the game of football for you to have picked up on, you know what, as soon as this happens, I should anticipate that in my front office get ahead of it, and see if we can take advantage of the value of the situation. They did not, and that's a miserable abject failure. Jonathan Gannon, hoping to not seem like he insulted uh, Joshua Dobbs in any way, stepped up to the microphone yesterday. Now, this is kind of weird because on Tuesdays, it's coordinator day. So Drew Petzing talks, uh, Nick Hollis talks, and, uh, and, and they are – what did I just say? I don't even know what I just said. Um, but both coordinators talk, and then in them giving their conversations, that's where it lies. But Jonathan Gannon thought, you know what, now that we've traded a quarterback, I need to step up and say something. I uh, wanted to kick this off. I'm sure you guys saw the news. Um, you know, came together over the last, you know, however many days. But uh, just want to thank Josh for his contributions. You know, he came in, battled. Uh, he's an ultimate pro. Um, what he did for us and our team can't thank him enough excited for the op- Josh is excited for the opportunity to go to Minnesota and go play um, but uh, we're excited for him and basically now uh, how it fits to our team you guys kind of know the plan we're sorting through getting another guy in here because I'd like to have three um, that'll come over the next couple of days and um, from that I just wanted you to hear that from me and uh you can pepper away at Drew. And that was kind of funny that he, you know, immediately bailed. Hey, you've already had a, a moment. I, I thought that was a good decision. Why leave the offensive coordinator to come out and explain a trade of that magnitude? I thought that was important. I think he should have taken some questions, but I do think that was important. So I want to give the Cardinals a little bit of credit. Still should have taken some questions, but give them a little bit of credit. 
for having the head coach come out and make a comment about Joshua Dobbs. I just – that's exactly how a poor organization is run to me in how you get through what just happened with Joshua Dobbs. How, whatever the scenario is that you want to paint, explain to me how that scenario makes sense with the evidence that I gave to you today in reminding you Sunday he's our quarterback – Monday, he's now third string because I watched the film. Tuesday, he's traded. With with those three things in a row right there, the only thing that you can explain that with is three things. A, they just insulted the guy as they were trading him. No way. That's just, that's just being a jerk. So it can't be that, but I'm saying there's that possibility. The second possibility is the fact that they uh there's no communication between Monty Austin Fort and the head coach and number three they didn't think of calling the Vikings and after they announced the benching the Vikings called so this narrative that the media is trying to push of well you know they they knew they were going to trade him so since they knew they were going to trade him they had to move forward with Clayton Coon and they just announced it Oh, my gosh. How dumb are you to handle your own trade leverage then? If you knew you were going to trade him, why insult the man and bench him uh, publicly? And why hurt your own trade? It just, you get the point. I'm, I'm kind of rambling now because I just, I'm trying to find a reason why smart people would do something that dumb or that insulting. Or have that little preparation. Have that lack of foresight. It's really unbelievable. All right, coming up next. Um, I want to spend some time explaining where 100 Mile Brewing is, why I like it, and why it's exciting to have them as a new member of the Unplugged Army. And I want to dive into the other thing that we lost last night. The Suns. It was... I don't care that Booker and Beal are hurt. That can't happen. And it did. You didn't see it? It's next. This is WTSMTV.com. Thanks for watching Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Man, am I angry. <laughs> it's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. If you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. It's so weird to go from so jacked up yesterday. I, I just, I love Halloween. And then to have a new member of the Unplugged Army is so exciting. So I'm jacked up at so many different levels. And then you just get punched in the face by the Diamondbacks, both decisions, physical, muscle, I mean, mental and physical mistakes. It was just embarrassing. Then on top of that, I should say embarrassing. That, that, it wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't like the 10 to nothing game in Philadelphia in game two. That, that was embarrassing. But 
you go from that into the ridiculousness of how the Suns lost, so that punches you in the face, and it just robbed me of the joy of what I get out of Halloween and then what happened before Halloween. I had lunch with intern McKenna yesterday, uh, had a great lunch, and had a long talk with Sue, the owner of 100 Mile Brew. I got to think of a nickname for her. I don't like Sweet Sue. Um, I, I got to think of something for Sue. But this place is fantastic. I've been working with them for about a month, getting to know them, and now they're an official member of the Unplugged Army. They're going to start advertising in December with us, but I wanted to introduce them to you now. And I'm hoping, I'd like to have a happy hour over there on Friday. Hopefully it turns into a Diamondbacks watch party, but the Diamondbacks have to win today to be able to uh, have that happen. So I'll be there at about 4.30 on Friday. If the Diamondbacks lose tonight, I'm going to be there from about 4.30 to 6.30. And if the Diamondbacks win, I'm going to be there for the whole game from 5 o'clock on and watch the game there. When you go, and I'll give you a nice picture of a, 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 on the map tomorrow so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. But it's very strange to get there. It's a completely renovated and refurbished white building. So once you find it, it's awesome. The catch is, it is very hard to find. The first time I went there, Siri kept doing all kinds of things. Go here, go here, go here. And I was turning, and I I could not find it. I had to call. Say, where is this place? So I want to give great directions to you. There's about seven different ways to get there. But the easiest way until you figure out the secret ways, the easiest way to get there, if you are getting off at the 202, you go south on Scottsdale Road, and right before the Tempe Town Lake Bridge, right before it becomes rural, okay, I mean you go under the overpass of the 202, and boom, there's a Macayos right there. Used to be a Denny's forever. Turn into the parking lot of Macayos. I know it's the weirdest thing in the world for me to try to get you to go try a restaurant and say turn into a different restaurant, but don't go to eat there. Okay, once you get into the parking lot of Macayos, keep going straight through the parking lot. And out of nowhere, you're going to be in the parking lot of a hotel. You don't want that either. Okay, the restaurant's not in the hotel. So drive straight past the hotel and pay attention the whole time because it's a tight squeeze. I almost hit a cop yesterday coming out of there. A cop was on a motorcycle, and he wasn't paying a bit of attention. He was driving like it was a one-way street. It's not. It's a two-way parking lot that's very, very tight. So you pull into Macayos and go straight past Macayos. You then go straight past the hotel. And I mean, when I go, I mean, you go under the awning of the hotel like you're checking in. Just keep driving. And then there's a white brick building, and that is 100 Mile Brewing. And it is the A Mountain Amber Ale is fantastic. The uh, uh, Turkey Club, I've had that a bunch of times. The fried chicken sandwich, their hamburgers. Those are the three things that I like. But I'm there for the uh, A Mountain Amber Ale. Oh, great. Now let's talk Suns and everything that happened last night with the Suns. Uh, <laughs> 20-point lead midway through the third quarter, and then they fell on their face. Your host of iOS, Izzy on Sports, Isaiah Jackson Jr., every weekday morning from 10 to noon, went to the game last night. He filed this report. 
Hello all, Isaiah Jackson Jr. here from WTSM-TV here at the Footprint Center as we just seen the Phoenix Suns fall to the San Antonio Spurs 115-114 and just a crushing defeat for the Phoenix Suns. And look, the Phoenix Suns had a 20-point lead in halftime. At halftime, it was a 20-point lead and then the Spurs just chipped away in that fourth quarter and brought it within single digits. And then nobody boxes out on Victor Wembanyama. A nice putback and an amazing steal. A steal that Kevin Durant took a full responsibility for. Kevin Durant says he should have had the ball close to him. He should have held on to it. No excuses whatsoever. And the ball gets stolen from him. An easy layup. And the Suns fall to the San Antonio Spurs at the very last second. And look, no Devin Booker. No Bradley Bill. You would think you would have been no problem taking on this San Antonio Spurs team. Unfortunately, that was not the case. And to be honest, I'd be lying to you guys if I didn't say I had to write this script multiple times. Mainly because everybody in the press box, in the wherever you were sitting at, had the Phoenix Suns winning this game. If you've seen how the, the San Antonio Spurs walked into this game, I mean, you, it looked like it was no effort. The transitions were slow. I mean, it looked like the Phoenix Suns were going to run them out of the stadium, and it wasn't the case. And yes, although Victor Wembanyama had a decent game, he started off in the first half 0 for 5. He only had four points, those coming in the, at the free throw line, and Victor Wembanyama was just locked down. They put him on clamps. That fourth quarter started, and he was just shooting over guys, KD included. So he definitely used that height to his advantage, but it was Keldon Johnson with the 27 points and four assists to end the game for the San Antonio Spurs. Came in clutch for him as well. On the other side, you have the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they were sharing the sugar like they were next-door neighbors. I mean, you seen Grayson Allen dropping 19 points today. You had Eric Gordon, who came through in a huge way for the Phoenix Suns, especially in that first half. He dropped 20 points today. And then Kevin Durant with 26 and 7 assists as well to end the night off. Kevin Durant started off really, really hot. Like I said, sharing the sugar. He was passing the ball left and right. And they was able to get great ball movement. And it looked like the Suns were just going to run away with this game. Unfortunately, it looked like the energy slowed down for them a bit. It looked like they lost lost the control of the game going into that fourth quarter, especially when they got into single digits. Kevin Durant was sitting out for an exceptionally long period of time. Eric Gordon as well. And as soon as they got back in the game, it was already too late. The momentum was already on the San Antonio Spurs side. So just like Frank Vogel said in his press conference, he says there's going to be some games like this where you should have won and you lost, and there's going to be games where you should have lost and you won, and today was one of those days. So the next time we'll see each other again will be on Thursday as the San Antonio Spurs come back to the Footprint Center to take on the Phoenix Suns. It'll be get-back time for them. And until then, I'm Isaiah Jackson Jr., and we'll see you next time. Izzy, nice job. Uh, gamer. In, just so you know, in order for him to put that together, you got to come back to the studio. We're not at the point yet where we're having Izzy drive out in a huge station truck, editing software. He goes, no, no, no. It, it, that's all stuff that he's doing here. Then turns around and gets back up to help us in the morning and then works on uh, the next show, which is Steve McCollum every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on the main event. Then he does his own show. So Gamer, Gamer with uh, Isaiah Jackson. Good work on that, Izzy. Last night, it drove me nuts. It drove me nuts the way that game ended. I'm going to get into the highlights of the end of the game in just a second. If you didn't get to see it, 20-point lead. You saw the meltdown that uh, Izzy just explained right there. Uh, KD, five turnovers. The turnovers were death. Suns had 19 turnovers. San Antonio, only 12 of them. And I liked the performance of Nurkic at 12 points and 12 boards and two clutch threes. And Allen had 19.7 boards on five of nine shooting. Not bad. But this isn't a case where they lost because... Booker and Beal were out. Sure. If Booker and Beal play, they probably crush the Spurs. I 
I have no doubt about that. But I don't I don't want that to be an excuse. You should have won this game anyway. And the fact that a team down two stars fell apart in their intensity is is kind of a shame it's just shameful. A lot of you guys will lose a ton of playing time once Booker and Beal come back. What have you a lot of the guys you haven't accomplished enough in the NBA to think oh we can now take it easy against the Spurs and allow the Spurs to come back. The Spurs hit a bunch of threes in the second half to speed their comeback. And when teams are hitting threes, it's almost always because, especially a young team, because you are failing to do what's called a closeout. You're not getting a hand in the face of the shooter because you're lazy, because you think you've already won. Oh, it's just a Spurs young team. We're up by 20. We've won. You can't, I mean, watching a team take that for granted really annoys me. And that's what they did in this game. Here is, uh, give me a Vogel one, if you could, because you heard I uh, Izzy just mentioned Frank Vogel talking about, hey, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing. You know, disappointing to lose a game after we played, quite frankly, we played a brilliant, brilliant basketball game. I mean, uh, you know, the offensive sharing and trust uh, was really good throughout. You know, our defensive disposition was really good throughout. We let our foot off the gas a little bit in the, in the third quarter. Um, they made seven threes, but it's an early season lesson for us. You know, teams are never going to stop playing, especially in the modern NBA where threes can get you back into a game. Uh, we have to guard that better. And, um, you know, we have to close out the fourth better. But, uh, you know, I like how we played overall, and it's a good early season lesson for us. I do like, and I, and I have to calm down, it's Halloween night, okay? We've got six months before – I would I would say four months before it's time to panic when you have a game like this where you have this large of a meltdown. I get it, and Frank Vogel is just acting like, hey, you know, this happens in the NBA over the course of a season. Um, I admit I'm the type of person I don't care that it's game four or five or whatever it is. I I don't care. I I, I still like fire and brimstone when you see something that's that unacceptable. Slow closeouts in a blowout game show either laziness or you're not a competitive person. Either one bothers me. Sometimes it's both. And I would like that to be called out a little more strongly than just the, well, you know, this kind of happens. Now, the other thing that needs to be brought up is your star did not close. The star. Kevin Durant, we traded Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges for you. That's a big trade. We gave up a ton to get you. And you can't finish a game like that. There were three plays at the end of the game that are all on Kevin Durant. The last one isn't going to drive me nuts because, let's face it, it's not easy to hit last-second shots. But that is your job as the closer to do it. I'll get to that one in a minute. I want you to watch this one. This is a missed three by the Spurs, okay? Kevin Durant is guarding Webinyama, the new French stud player, number one overall. Now, this is basketball junior high lesson, and you're still working on it through high school. When the shot goes up, and it's not a shot by your man, the slow-moving, lazy, not-competitive ball player watches the ball. Because like, oh, okay, look at the pretty basketball going in. So you can always know who has fire in the belly if they're not watching the ball and they're watching their man. The first thing you do is you target your man. Find who your man is 
and then you hit him, not punch him in the face. You jab your tailbone right into his hip, right into the top part of his thigh. And you are showing that person you're not getting anywhere near the basket. I'm ready for the physicality of this moment, and I'm going to cause you pain for you coming into my area. You do not pull the DeAndre Ayton. Oh, look at the pretty orange ball going through the air. Now let's watch the face of Kevin Durant. Here we go on this play. And uh, there is Kevin Durant right there on the on the free throw line. See how he's watching the pretty ball? And Webb and Yama goes right around him. Oh, my gosh. Do you mind? I'd like to actually have that again, if you could, Jeff Weir Production, because this is so frustrating to me. This is, I mean, I would like you to become a plus member and join the Unplugged Army at a higher level and watch Doug Franz Unplugged. If you're, even if you're a hardcore audio listener, I think this is worth it if you have a basketball player in your family, if you have a basketball playing son or daughter, to say you can never take a playoff. And this is total Kevin Durant taking a playoff. Webb and Yama doesn't stop competing. So as we freeze it, there he is. Webb and Yama is number one. Now watch the body language. Oh, and you can see Kevin Durant realize that he failed. Watch Kevin Durant kind of drop his shoulders once he realizes Webb and Yama just said, oh, no. That's all Kevin Durant. That is all Kevin Durant. Your only job after that shot goes up is to make sure your guy doesn't get the rebound. If you fight him for the rebound, and he's a better rebounder than you, he outfights you, he gets around you, I would be here saying, you know what? Good try. You're a professional. You shouldn't have let it happen. But at least at least you're a fighter. Kevin Durant didn't do that. Now, is he still a great player? Of course. Is he still going to the Hall of Fame? Of course. But this is one of those moments where we find out a little bit about Frank Vogel. Will Frank Vogel, in front of the team, go through the game and look right at Kevin Durant? Say, KD, that's on you. Webinyama goes right around you. There's no fight. You've got to find your man. Don't watch the ball. That's lazy. Don't watch the ball. Find the man. Hurt the man. Then come back and look at the rim and, and attack the ball. That's how you rebound. And that's not what he did. That's, that's bothersome. So now... The second play. And now I'm going to stare at Frank Vogel. The second play is Frank Vogel. They just make the basket. Why are we inbounding underneath our own basket? I hate this rule in the NBA. Real basketball is bring the ball up the floor. But in the pros, they, they want, let's face it, it's, a, it's for entertainment. So in the pros, since they know it's for entertainment, they have a rule to help make last-second shots easier, move the ball past midcourt. So now when you inbounds the ball after the other team makes a basket, but you get to go all the way to midcourt inside of a minute to play after you call a timeout, now you've got a whole wide expanse, both left and right, to be able to inbounds. Makes inbounding the ball so much easier. Instead, Frank Vogel doesn't call the timeout, doesn't move the basketball, and watch what happens when they inbounds from the baseline. Steal that Kevin Durant took a full responsibility for. Kevin Durant says oh, he should have had the ball no. close to him. He should have held on to it. No excuses whatsoever. And okay. Um, oh, my gosh. Do me a favor. If you could, I, I want to talk over Izzy. So, Jeff, I'd like you to play that again without Izzy in it. I don't know if that's possible, if you can. But that play yeah. right there – 
The reason why that one bothers me so much is, first of all, it's on Frank Vogel. Before I go after Kevin Durant, that's on Frank Vogel. Call timeout. That's basic. Frank Vogel's excuse is he said, well, we have a play, and that play worked to perfection. We got the ball inbounds. We got the ball to our free throw shooter. So that's what we want to do. That play got worked. We got the ball to our free throw shooter. Our free throw shooter got fouled. It wasn't called. So what? And that, that was kind of his attitude about it. That's not my attitude about it because it's still a mistake. You still made the inbounds harder than it needed to be. And here's what really bothers me about it. If you're so confident you're right, fine. Do it with Bradley and Booker on the court. If Beal and Booker are out there, fine. But when you have a lot of other guys out there and you're still trying to develop chemistry, this is when you have to coach. This is when you step up as the coach and say, you know what, I'm going to call a timeout to make sure we're all on the same page. This is new for us. We're getting together. Let's do it that way. Okay, now let's watch that play again. Kevin Durant getting the ball ripped out of his hands. Right there, you got to be tough with the ball. He knows it, but you got to be a lot stronger and lift up, and there's no reason to bring the ball down. No reason to bring the ball down. You are six, you are seven foot tall. Why are you bringing the ball down? Those are, I mean, you hate to say it about Kevin Durant. That's pressure. That's actually choking when that happens. Because does it, you know he knows that. If him, and, if him and I are in a conversation about basketball, hey, don't you need to keep that ball over your head? Because they can't get to you. They can't get the ball if you keep it over your head. Yeah, I need to keep it over my head. Okay, why did you bring it down? Ah, you know, it's, it's pressure. It's the pressure of the moment. And if you succumb to the pressure of the moment and it affects the knowledge that you already have attained on how to handle a situation, that's a choke. And everybody has a different definition of choke. To me, the definition of choke is when the pressure causes you to do things that you wouldn't do when you weren't under pressure. We can't have players like Kevin Durant choking. Can't. Now, I don't consider the last shot that he missed a choke. Here's the final of the game when he has a chance to redeem himself. Oh, well, that was fast. <laughs> I, uh, wait, did, did he even get the ball? Will you show me that again, Jeff? We're production. <laughs> yeah. I think. I, I, yeah, okay, it's already over. Hey, hey, all right, there you go. Uh, that, <laughs> that was just cut a little weird. Uh, CEO Chris, I do have to mock you. Uh, thank you for giving me the last play. I just thought we would. I mean, that was the last play right there. Boom. What, what else did you need? He missed a shot. Okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Thank you very much on that one. But Kevin Durant takes the uh, inbound. It's a really well-designed play because he came up the zipper, and the zipper is the free-throw um, uh, area, the lane. If you look, there's little hash marks on each side of the lane for where you stand on a free-throw. Well, that's called the zipper. So he comes up the zipper looking like he's going to flash high for a three and then cuts right across the foul line extended and comes to the ball and set it up for a decent fadeaway. So I really like the play. I don't get bent out of shape about missing the shot unless you talk a lot. If you're the type of player that always whines about not getting the ball, then make the shot. Kevin Durant doesn't whine about not getting the ball. So that's just that's a tough basketball play. I wish he would have made it. Life goes on. But that there's a lot of issues there at the end that I just don't understand on Kevin Durant and Frank Vogel. If you could, let's go to Vogel 2 and, uh, and give me a little bit of Frank Vogel, please. Yeah, he fouled, they fouled him. The refs didn't call it. They whack him on the arm, okay, before the ball gets ripped out of his hands. No call, but... 
you know, in a situation like that, you know, we try to get the ball in a quick inbounds to our, our 90% free throw shooter. And, um, and we did, um, but it didn't work out. He's right. He drew up a play. The play worked. 90% free throw shooter with the ball. And you expect to get fouled. So that part of it worked. Yet, I am still looking at you. I'm still looking at you for not calling the timeout. That's I don't think it's I don't think it's right just to say, hey, my play worked, I'm done. What would have put your team in the best position? What would have put your team in the best position is advancing the basketball, going over the play with everybody, and then you remind KD, keep the ball high, they're gonna come foul and they're gonna foul hard. Right? Be ready. So even if he did get fouled, which I do I think he got fouled? Yeah, I do. Do I think it's a terribly blown call and the ref should know? No. I think I mean there's a difference. I think he fouled him. I think he actually got grazed in the head. So I you know, I, if he did, then that's kind of a bad miss. But I don't care. The ball should never have gone down where it was in the first place to be swatted at. All right, give me one more Frank Vogel if you could. I'll take I'll take Vogel 3. We go through all these scenarios, right? We have a safe, safe only inbound. So J.O. knows he's going to throw it to Kevin Durant only. Okay, if you can get it to him safely, we'll take it. Okay, 99% of the time he gets fouled, make two free throws, game's over. Okay, the situation, the refs didn't call the foul. Okay, the ball got stolen. We lost the game. I like how matter of fact is because what he means by safe is you're going to throw it there. If you can't throw it there, we're going to call timeout simple and it's safe in the sense of don't even risk a tough pass okay to me though look where Kevin Durant catches that ball he catches that ball in the corner easy place to trap again I understand totally what Frank Vogel's saying he is ignoring anybody like me that's questioning the decision not to advance the ball he's saying listen the only place that ball was going was to Kevin Durant and if it doesn't go to Kevin Durant, we're going to call a timeout there. So if you want me to advance the ball so bad, don't worry. If we can't get the ball into KD, then we're calling a timeout. So you're getting your wish unless we get the ball to a 90% free throw shooter. Our 90% free throw shooter got fouled. So now I have my 90% free throw shooter on the line and I didn't have to waste that last timeout. Instead, the refs chose not to call the foul. That's Frank Vogel's thinking. So, he, so he's almost like telling us, anybody who rips him, hey, you got a problem with what we did, you go talk to the refs. Don't talk to us. I, don't talk to me. I don't care. I don't care. I just disagree wholeheartedly with not calling the timeout right there, especially for a team that's trying to come together. Uh, up next for the Suns, they're off today. They play the Spurs again at home again. It's kind of weird. They take on the Spurs tomorrow. Uh, games like that started in COVID when you had back-to-back games against the same team in the same city. Because they realize, you know, it's a great way to cut down on travel to do that every now and then. So that'll be coming up uh, on Thursday. I got a weird treat for you, if you could. Uh, Jeff Weir Production, we're done with breaks, right? That is correct. Okay. Then I would like to, I want to give a free shout out. I was, re- I, really entert- I was really entertained yesterday by hanging with Coop. I thought it was really, really good. And they had an original Diamondback and World Series champion David DeLucci on. And I thought, boy, what a great way to get excited for Diamondbacks Game 4. And so I wanted to highlight that show. This show comes on every Tuesday at noon. 
hang in with Coop, and then he, I want to play a big chunk of their conversation with David DeLucci yesterday. Let's bring back one of the original Diamondbacks, 1998 expansion draftee, David DeLucci. David, how you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. And by the way, happy birthday, Dave. Today is his birthday. I won't say the number, but, oh. it, but it, today is his birthday. Is it really? You know, you know. I, I'm gonna. I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you something about Dave DeLucci. You know, uh, he he was a fan favorite. But let me tell you something. The women in our newsroom love this guy. I mean, I, I mean, it was amazing. I, I, we're like, we're like, man, should we uh, invite David to a uh, party and 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 we can get all the women to come over? I mean, they love David Delucci. I, 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 David, I, I hate to admit it, but I I, I do remember that much uh, about you standing out. I, but look. I, I loved your hustle. I mean, this guy would go from first to third. I mean, he the fans would get, but but the women loved him. <laughs> it's the mustache. I like, <laughs> <laughs> he liked the mustache. This, this is for, for Halloween tonight. I'm dressing up as a vampire. So I shaved my beard down to a mustache. So I don't, I don't know if the mustache fits my look very well, but just for tonight, I'm aware. David, how, how, how great of a time did you have in, in Arizona with the Diamondbacks? I tell you, it, it was very special for me. Um, as you mentioned, from the very beginning, being on that inaugural team in 1998, uh, you could tell that uh, Jerry Colangelo and our front office, along with Buck Showalter, Joe Garagiola, they wanted to build a winner, but they wanted to build a winning program with guys that had good character and guys that could develop a culture that everyone knew how to respect each other. They respected the game. And it, it was just such a great team with tremendous chemistry. And we evolved. And we evolved so fast from 98 to 99. We almost lost 100 games in 1998. But we played the game the right way. And in 99, we added a couple ingredients. Uh, Gonzo and, and Randy Johnson and Schilling came later on. And you start putting these pieces together with Finley and before you know it you look around and you're like man this is a team that could do something special and I remember in spring training in 2001 we had a players only meeting we got together and we said look around this clubhouse Mark Grace, Mike Morgan, Greg Swindell, Tony Womack, all these guys, Reggie Sanders this is the team that if you're ever going to do something special this is a team and it doesn't matter if you're making $10 million and you have 14 years in the league or if you're a rookie making the minimum. It doesn't matter if you're playing every day or if you're going to be a role player. If everybody does what's expected out of them, we could accomplish the greatest thing in baseball. And little by little, this team just got better and better. We had some, some road bumps during the course of the season, but we just kept persevering and pushing and pushing. And then when the chips fell at the very end, we were the last team standing. Just like y'all said, there were a lot of similarities, not only to what was going on around the team, but also inside the clubhouse from the 2001 team to the team this year. Yeah, and, and, and Dave, one of the things that you, you mentioned, you, you, you mentioned a lot of these names. These are veteran names. So there, is an, there was a certain expectation there. It wasn't a, a total surprise to see the Diamondbacks uh, in the World Series. But this 2023 team, 
I mean, my goodness, you, you, outside of Arizona, you really need a roster to, to, to know who the heck these guys are. And yet, here they are, uh, three wins away from accomplishing the very feat that your veteran-laden team did in 01. Yeah, and, and you know, what's, what's really neat for me is I had the opportunity to announce some of the ball games uh, on radio for the D-backs this year. I got to see these guys in person. And one of my takeaways was, look, at that time, they, they were not doing very well. They were trying to catch up in the wild card spot. A lot of people had counted them out. But I just had this sense that it was a young team that was extremely talented. And it was almost like, just stay with them. They're going to catch their speed at some point, either this year or in the future. This is a team to be reckoned with. But one thing was for certain was they were going to play hard for all nine innings and give you everything they could for the whole game. And that's what I really loved about these guys. They were not afraid to bunt runners over. They were not afraid to steal base. It was almost old school baseball for some some of the games this year. And the length of the major league season is so long that even though you're a rookie in April and May, when it gets to be August and September, you're kind of like a chiseled veteran when you go out there and play every day. And guys like Carroll and, and some of these other guys on there, really, they established themselves. We knew they were talented, but they became better as far as thinking through the game themselves. And I tell you, it, it's a fun team. I think it's great that they're off the radar, have been off the radar, because they've been sneaking up on guys all throughout the year. And now the spotlight's on them, and they deserve it. But I was just wondering if there's any sort of uh, story you could tell about some of the characters that were on that team uh, that you're willing to share. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, some of the stories, but that team was so unique, and the personalities were so great. Uh, some of those stories are better fit at, at a bar after a couple of beverages. Uh, but, but that's what made us so, so close together was you had so many different personalities. Um, I, I tell you, we, we, we hit some rough spots. We had some slumps. And, and the veteran guys like Gonzo and, and Reggie and Finley and Schilling, they would always come up with something different. Like we, we had, uh, a, 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 and I don't know if I should be saying that because it happened in the clubhouse, but we <laughs> had some it. moments where we need to lift guys' spirits. And Gonzo, I believe, brought in some rodeo clowns with uh, some miniature horses into the clubhouse <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, it just lightened up the mood. You know, we had those at least once or twice a month. Um, but I always loved the, the to me, what, what kind of resembled the team was our flights from game to game, from, from city to city. Uh, I was kind of like the, the DJ and we played music that each and every player on the team loved. So it wasn't just music for one group or one guy. We wanted to make sure everybody was included. And that's how we were. When we went out to dinner, everybody came out to dinner. There were no clicks on that team. It was all for one, one for all. And, and uh, it was a special team. So, I mean, I could go on for stories and stories and stories, but I don't know if I've ever played on a team. I played for 13 seasons. That was probably the closest team I ever played with that had the best team chemistry. 
Well, Dave, I tell you what, it's just been a pleasure having you uh, relive and share some stories from that 01 team. Give us a little perspective from your uh, point of view regarding the 2023 Diamondback World Series team. And we want to just thank you for uh, spending some time with us. Really enjoyed it. And hey, I'm telling you, uh, if, if you're throwing a, a party, I, I, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy, enjoy, your, enjoy your birthday. Yeah, I will. And hey, next time I'll give y'all more advance notice and uh, <laughs> I'll get you all down here for the next part. All right, Dave, all right, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. So hopefully you love listening to that as much as I did. I, I'm so frustrated with my cornhole performance last night, my family's darts performance. Not mine. I, I played well, uh, being a great teammate, of course. The Diamondbacks, the Suns, it was just crappy. So I needed a smile. I needed to have a good time at the end. So hopefully you enjoyed hearing from David DeLucci. And uh, and I'd love to give a, a shout-out for hanging with Coop every Tuesday noon. Please check it out. And then it's immediately followed by our new uh, fantasy football show, which I think you're going to love. If you haven't taken a chance to see it, they're going to have another episode coming up on Sunday morning. This, however, is a time change for the organic football show because of the fact that the time changes now come nationally. They always like to start an hour before kickoff to help you with the inactives. Now that the uh, morning kickoffs are at 11 o'clock their show moves from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock organic football podcast tuesdays right after hanging with coop and then sunday mornings at 10 o'clock now it's time for the main event steve mccullum joins us and, and hopefully he is in a very happy mood to try to make everything here at wtsmtv.com a lot more pleasant considering i've been a grump all day how are you uh i'm all right yeah you've been kind of grumpy i am kind of grumpy i i'm really grumpy today really but it, it it's has, just the losing but it has nothing to do with any of that stuff it has to do with the personal stuff and stuff oh. like that so uh i just woke up just like grumpy today oh it, it's just chilling with all that massive and just unknown well now i feel like that. a jerk yeah. because i realize yeah. all of yeah. my grumpiness yeah. comes from not hey, real hey, life doug, problems doug there's there's real life out there yeah, just, okay. uh, just point out to you so you well, know hey Hey, for me, life is losing a cornhole and having to hear about it. Oh, my gosh. That's big. No, I just uh, – no, it's um, – look, uh, the Cardinal situation with Dobbs, Mont, uh, uh, here, here's how it went down. Gannon didn't know Sunday after the game that the Vikings had made the phone call. So he was like, Dobbs is my quarterback. Obviously, that's the right choice. Monday morning – uh, he does. The hardest thing for head coaches, I got to think, is knowing the truth and going in front of the media and lying to the media. Monday morning, they knew Dobbs was being was gone. There's no way they didn't when he said we're switching quarterbacks, which is weird. Why do you handle that? Handle it that way. Right. Uh, and uh, Dobbs was gone at that point. How, how long does it take to put a trade together for six round picks? If you're you're if you're right, I'm not in yeah, any yeah, way yeah. saying you're wrong. If you're right, here's what I don't get. Yeah. The follow-up question, which I assume the Cardinals would have prepared him for. Yeah. Is why the decision? And he goes after watching the yeah. film. No, no, because that's what I mean. It's got to be the hardest thing on the planet knowing that he is on his way out the door. Uh that uh you go, look, and it's it's the right move if you think about it. Because, oh, I don't have a problem with the trade yeah, yeah, at all. Because when Kyler Murray, look, they got value for him. Yes. He was going to be the third string quarterback. The Cardinals love Clayton Toon. Mm -hmm. they, they love him, folks. He's going to be number two no matter what, which means Dobbs is number three. Vikings call, you go, 
Yes, sir. He's he's on a plane. We'll pay yep. for the plane trip. It makes perfect sense on how it went down. I agree with you. It was weird how he did it. And uh, you know, but there's no way he did not know all. they didn't they knew Monday morning a trade was imminent. They had to have. If, absolutely had to again, have. if that's true. I can't get over how insulting it is yes. to say I've made this decision to move on because I watched the film. Yeah. So here's a guy leaving. Right? Hey, before you go, let me take his knee out from underneath you. Just. about it. Why would you? Why would you even say that? Even if you were benching him, yes. and why would you say that if you were trading him? Because either scenario, it doesn't make sense. And that's my argument to you: is they, Out of all the ones that don't make sense, this makes more sense than the other ones yeah, that don't make sense? because it doesn't make sense to throw them under the bus you know, with the film thing. It doesn't yep. make sense to throw them under the bus for the film thing on the trade either. <laughs> Neither one of them makes sense. So the only scenario I can think of is that he was just trying to, like, uh, here's the situation, and without saying he's about to be traded. Yeah. And ruining the trade, right? Look, it gives Dobbs an opportunity to go to Minnesota. They're gonna, Minnesota's going to start the rookie this weekend. Uh, look, they're... Minnesota still has a chance in that division. They're not going to go with that rookie for long, and they're going to give Dobbs a chance. And my favorite thing for Minnesota fans that are saying, a lot of Minnesota fans that are here in Arizona reached out to me, and they're like, he sucks. Look, Dobbs is a great backup quarterback, but be ready. He's going to miss plays that are going to infuriate you. But so did Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I, now if, <laughs> and I haven't talked about, I really didn't spend any time on it. The, the trade itself, I believe – well, but, this, when I say I believe, it means yeah. I don't have any idea if I'm right about yeah. this. I believe it was a seventh-round pick they sent to the Browns. But it can get better. Uh, yeah, uh, I, yeah. They they got a sixth-round back, and then they gave them a seventh-round. You know, they gave like but, I know the trade yeah. with the Vikings. They gave a conditional oh, yeah, yeah. seventh to get a sixth. Yes, yes. I'm saying I think they traded a seventh to the Browns. Oh yeah, no, no, no. They got worse. No, no. They got worse. I have it uh, in my notes here. I don't okay. have it up right now. No, no, no. This is what this is the question of the day. No, no. They got they got worse compensation back for Dobbs than what they got when they oh, got. Oh, did Dobbs. they? Yes. I was I thought they gave a no. seventh to the Browns, yeah. and then I believe they're trading. A, technically, you would be right on that. They're trading Dobbs and a seventh to get a yeah. sixth. But I'm like, you know what? I, I'm okay, I'm okay that you flipped a team a seventh. Yeah. Got through half the season when you have an ACL torn quarterback, yeah. and then you're getting back a sixth. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm 99% sure they're getting back. They gave. They're getting less than what they gave up to get him okay. uh, back here. I, I if if I my computer was on, I'd be able uh-huh. to look it up for. Exactly, actually have that stat. You know, I, I uh, just found it. But then they and got. You are 100% you know, but they got one right. win. It's know, a win fifth round pick. Yeah. For Dobbs and a seventh. Yes. So that's where I, I got the seventh, but I was dead wrong. So they traded a fifth. Yes. Now they're getting back a sixth. Yes. Uh, that I think can get better based on playing time. Okay. Okay. But uh, and he's going to get some playing time there. Yeah. Folks. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, on no that. doubt about it. But I mean, but then you got eight games out of him, only one victory, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. But he was he was a better placeholder than Tune would have been. So mm-hmm. is it a bad thing? I don't know. Uh, but I'll say this, uh, Monty Osford is cutthroat, and uh, that's the nice thing about it. Do you see ESPN article this morning on the Cardinals? Yes. Uh, I my, haven't my, had a chance to study it. Okay, well, that's what I was wondering. That's what I was getting that's I mean, I didn't, it's here, a lot of the same information, but it goes more in depth that uh, basically Michael Bidwell runs his organization like it's 1950s. Here's here's the major problem. I'm so glad that you brought that up. This, yeah. is, this is kind of funny that you brought it up. Um, I know it came out like 5.30 or something. Well, here, morning, yeah, so. here's the problem. I was, 
I haven't talked about this yet today. I got specific information that that is coming out tomorrow yeah. or, or this afternoon. <laughs> I, I was told it was coming out this afternoon, uh, you know, and I was shocked it came out. But it makes sense. World Series tonight here in Phoenix, you don't want it to come out that same time. Yeah. yeah. And if the Rangers win tonight, you don't want it to come out in the morning and all that. But um, a lot of the same information, a little bit more in depth on that, about the way he treats women uh, in his organization. And the Cardinals keep harping on, you know, and it actually at one point it says uh, in there, uh, it says that uh, Michael runs the team like, you know, like they always have been run. Mm-hmm. Well... Okay, I'll forgive your dad for running the team that way, you know, because he was, you know, whatever, 90-something when yeah, he died. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll forgive your grandfather for running the team uh, like a male chauvinist pig because <laughs> that's the way the world was back then. Let's yeah, face it, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Bidwell, you have zero excuse as a prosecutor, as a person. And I'll say it again, uh, and I said it on Twitter this morning, uh, second-generation wealth, most of the time a-holes, and he is a grade-A a-hole to women. Uh, so there you go. Wow. Strong words, and I think you're right. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm a a little embarrassed that I didn't go deep. Um, Good job, Steve McCollum, bringing up the the article uh, on ESPN. I saw it, and... And I did not, like, go deep into it. And then I just realized, what am I doing? Why didn't I go deep into it? Uh, terrible move by me. So full apology to the Unplugged Army. And, I'm glad, and so please, hard plug for the main event coming up from 8 to 10 to give him an opportunity to spend some more time on it. I am with you, Steve, that it was one of those things where it had a lot to do with what's already out there, but deeper details about it. it to me... The question becomes, what are the NFL owners going to do? And with this piece of information, I'm going to just say it adds to what's coming. The big thing is what's going to happen with the arbitration that's going on right now between Terry McDonough and the organization. And it's clear the NFL is dragging this out to try to make it very expensive for Terry McDonough. Because you're telling me this can't be finished by now? I mean, really think about that for a second. How long does it really take to arbitrate this case? It doesn't take this long. So the only reason why there isn't a verdict is because the NFL wants to drag it out, thinking eventually Terry McDonough is going to whittle. Terry McDonough is going to back down. And this just piles onto it. And so this shows you the NFL is in cohorts and they only are going to care if this gets so much attention that Michael Bidwell is publicly embarrassed. And then they feel like, you know what, now we have to make a new. Because so far, as much as it looks like Michael Bidwell is a jerk to his employees, nothing rises to a Daniel Snyder level. And even at a Daniel Snyder level, it took years and congressional involvement, and they just basically in-house, I believe, this is now not proven, forced him to sell. It's like, it's time for you to move on. Don't make us go here. Don't make us go here. The one caveat on this, and this is really important point, when The Athletic put out their article on Michael Bidwell, they don't have to go to the NFL. 
They, this, they're owned by the New York Times. They just put out what they think is the news. ESPN would never have run this article on Michael Bidwell without going to the NFL and saying, here's what we're about to do. Because they're a partner with the NFL. They don't want they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them unless the NFL knows here's what's coming out. Do you notice in the article or about ESPN.com? If I go to the front page of ESPN right now, let me do that. And I realize versus Vegas is going on, but this is uh, so much more important. The number one story at the top is Josh McDaniels getting fired. The number two story is the college football playoff rankings. Number three is Jim Harbaugh. Number four is now Cardinals culture in focus. Okay? That's not even the top headlines. That's their four page-grabbing pictures at the top. The order of stories that are on the top, they don't even mention Michael Bidwell. So that shows you they're sucking up a little bit to the NFL of saying, hey, we've got to cover the important stories, but we're not going to highlight it very strongly. So as of right now, Michael Bidwell is still being protected by the NFL, in my opinion. So there's no threat to his ownership. Now we've got to see what happens with Terry McDonough, and they're dragging it out to show that they're still protecting him. I think it's sad. I think it shows you how sad the NFL is when it comes to the employment of women. I think it shows you how sad the NFL is at not really caring about what had been done in Carolina by Jerry Richardson, what had been done in Washington by Daniel Snyder. I am not saying Michael Bidwell rises to the level of those two by bringing them up into the category. I'm bringing them up into the category of the NFL. That maybe other organizations are different, but here are three examples, different levels, but three examples of poor behavior towards women or poor employment of women. And the NFL does this little about it. They only care when you care. Well, my opinion is I care, and I'm going to keep presenting the information as it comes to me. But it's soft of ESPN, not the article itself, but it's soft of ESPN to put it what we would call below the fold and show they don't really take this very seriously. All right. Hey, guess what? Versus Vegas. That was me covering my own butt for failing to give you what I needed to give you today. And uh, and that's, that's all on me. Uh, so thanks again to Steve for bringing it up. Uh, I lost. I only played one game last night. Lost it. I thought the Suns would easily cover against the Spurs. I thought the Suns would focus throughout the game. I thought the Suns would take an opponent seriously, and I thought the Suns would not allow uh, another team to in their house to overcome a 20-point lead with a bunch of kids playing. I was wrong about my Suns. They do not cover the seven and a half. They lose. So I dropped to 10, 20, 9, 27, and six overall. Uh, on my record today the Clippers they're playing a back-to-back but without the travel that's weird all right they've had a home game last night now they're the road team tonight against the Lakers but when you're on the back end of a back-to-back following a major trade and I don't know if Harden's gonna play tonight or not I haven't looked I just think this is the type of game where a LeBron James says, I want you to know I'm the king. So you can make these trades, you can do whatever you want, but I want to show you I'm the king of Los Angeles. That's that's an ego-driven thing, 
But that's usually when egos are good, when your stars want to prove a point. And I don't think the Clippers will have the team chemistry it takes to be able to win. So I'm going to go with the Lakers in this game, minus the five and a half at home against the Clippers, because I don't think the Clippers are quite ready for this, and I think LeBron wants to prove a point. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Thanks a ton to Steve McCollum for bringing up the Cardinals article. Thanks a ton for to Jeff Weir Production for allowing me to have some fun and, uh, and enjoy my night last night and, in a sense, kind of come in a little groggy today. Thanks a lot to all the sponsors. Remember, unplugged at whirlwind.com. And thanks to our newest sponsor, this is exciting, 100 Mile Brew in Tempe that's going to start next month. The main event is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.